0: Here we go. Take the car. Drum roll. Boy, that's going to be a long... one. Hello! Hey! Hi there! Woo! I am Matt Weinhold, I am from the Monster Party Podcast, and yes, I don't want to brag, but I am on the internet, so... Uh, I would like to welcome you all to the most anticipated Comic Con panel.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe in history. It's Lawyers on the 65th Anniversary of Godzilla. Woohoo! All uh, right. Now, this panel is brought to you by the Legal Geeks podcast, which is hosted by the great. Josh Gilliland, give him a round of applause folks. The Legal Geeks is a podcast that looks at all the nerdy stuff that we love through the prism of the legal system. It's kind of like jury duty, but with more capes. <laughs> now without any further delay, I would like to introduce our legal panel, attorneys assemble. <laughs> <laughs> Please welcome to our panel, U.S. Magistrate Judge Stacy Beckerman. (laughs) Get this, grand-nephew of King Kong creator, Marion C. Cooper, Monty Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) Deputy City Attorney for the City of San Diego, Kathy Steinman. (laughs)
2: Not the local U-
0: U.S. Courts, Bethany Bengfort. <laughs> and the legal geeks own Joshua Gilliland, one more time. <laughs> now let's destroy all previous legal theories. <laughs> First off, this is a question that I have always had after watching any and every Godzilla who pays for the acts of Godzilla,
3: Tokyo, sometimes Boston, sometimes San
0: Francisco, <laughs> as long as it's not Minya, because that kid's got enough troubles. All right. Who wants to take this one? Uh, 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 Kathy.
4: I've got Kathy. this one. Um, so this is uh, actually a good law school exam question, which would take about three hours to answer. And I've been given about two minutes. So bear with me. Um, So first we have to think about what are the costs that we're talking about. And they kind of fall into a couple of categories. The first would be your first responders, who's actually responding to the emergency. So with respect to police, fire, paramedics, those things are usually going to be covered by uh, local and state government, which would be paid by the taxpayers, which would be you all. Um, Thank you for your hotel tax spending nearby. (laughs) Um, um, If it were the military that were responding, that would be the state or the the federal government, most likely the federal government. Again, taxpayers, thank you. Um, The second um, cost that we're talking about, I think, which is what what most people are thinking about, is the damage, right? Who pays for the damage to all the property that happens from these battles? Um, So then we have to get into, well, what's the type of damage that we're talking about? the property damage, but there are also injuries, perhaps even deaths that occur, correct? So when we talk about property, the first question we're going to ask is who owns the property? And again, that's going to fall into about two categories. First, we have private property, and then we have uh, public property. When we're talking about private property, what we're looking at are private buildings, cars, personal property. Um, In those instances, the costs are probably going to be borne by the property owner themselves. They may have insurance that may or may not cover kaiju damage. (laughs) I'm sure there's probably some exclusion in there, so you would have to read your homeowner's policy carefully. Um, uh, Another question would be, uh, what about FEMA? Um, that if this is declared a natural or a a disaster or state of emergency, there might be federal funds available to assist um, those people to help rebuild. Um, And then the third question we can think about, and this is what lawyers always think about, is did someone else cause it? Can we sue somebody for it? Um, And so that would depend on the facts of the case. Did somebody do something to lead Godzilla to cause the damage? And so if the if you can make a nexus, we call it proximate cause in, in the legal uh, arena, um, if you can make that nexus, you might be able to recover or sue a third party and recover um, some of your costs from them. When we're talking about public property, what we're thinking about are things like streets, uh, lampposts, traffic signals, government buildings, things like that, the infrastructure for your city or your, your town. Um, those costs are probably gonna be um, borne by the government itself, whatever agency it is, whatever public entity it is. Um, so again, it's the taxpayers. Um, some governments um, and public uh, entities are um, insured um, by uh, different, they purchase insurance policies, so there might be some insurance money out there that would be available uh, to them to recover. Um, again, FEMA could be another uh, uh, resource, um, especially also because if a state of emergency is declared, what's important about that is that it not only does it open up access to funding, but it also opens up access to uh, other resources, such as uh, military and things like that, or or um, other um, emergency aid that you can get. Um, and then, again, did somebody else cause the damage? Can we sue somebody to recover? Um, so And then we get to the injuries and death. Uh, so if there is somebody who is injured or dies because of uh, a, an attack, um, most likely uh, we'd look first to see do they have some sort of um, insurance, health or life insurance, that could cover this. Um, if they don't, then possibly the injured party themselves would have to pay unless they have single-payer health care. Um, unless we do. Um, I won't go there. But. um <laughs> 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 um, the other thing could be, um, you know, uh, doctors take a Hippocratic oath. So, you know, if there's this cataclysmic event and there's a flood of people going to uh, the emergency rooms, they have to treat these people. They're not going to turn them away. And then as they are you know uh, later on they 're trying to figure out who they can recover the money from if a person is not insured or something like that the health, provi- health care providers often will um, write off the costs that it took to care for these people during these kinds of events, and they end up getting a tax deduction for that it 's like a basically a charitable donation for them um, so that is another way and then again, can we sue somebody um, so that 's kind of the, the, the quick Answer. Wow. (laughs) Nice.
0: But I think we can all agree, get Godzilla insurance, yes? Yes, yes. Okay, all right. Next up, you saw this device at work in the original 1954 Gojira and in the latest film, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Tell us, Monty... Is the oxygen destroyer a weapon of mass destruction? And why is everyone so mad at oxygen? All right. (laughs) Take these one at a time,
3: and I'll start with a point. If there's any proof that the panel is sympathetic to the Kong position is going to die in the next movie, they just gave me the biggest softball of all the legal questions. First of all, let me ask the audience... It doesn't matter if you have a law degree. Does anybody here think the oxygen destroyer, and think about the name of the thing, (laughs) is not a weapon of mass destruction? (laughs) Oh, you are going on an FBI watch list (laughs)
0: immediately. He's got one in his hand. (laughs) It is not a weapon of mass destruction.
3: It's a a weapon of area denial. It does Uh. not destroy structures. Did you go to law school?
0: <laughs>
3: a biological weapon doesn't destroy structures and it's a weapon of mass destruction. <laughs>
5: <sighs> well, now let's take a look at the law. Some yeah. through the
0: <laughs> All right.
3: Okay. Save it for the back alley. Okay.
0: <laughs>
3: all right. This uh, the, the definition of a wa- weapon of mass destruction, it, it actually in all fairness to the, the audience, it It actually is deliberately not in most countries a definition that has been defined by law because international law in the wake of World War II wanted to have maximum ability to define it by the circumstances. As you might guess, the fact that we had the bombing of Dresden, we had the atomic bomb, we had chemical warfare. All these were known in the 40s and the 50s, and there was a recognition that as science advanced that we would have difficulty in always defining what is in fact a weapon that can kill a massive number of people. Um, In the wake of 9-11, a whole debate arose about whether or not weapons that were otherwise, or uh, devices that were otherwise benign like planes could be weapons of mass destruction, as they clearly could be in light of what happened in New York. As a result, the one of the few countries that has actually attempted to define a weapon of de- mass destruction is, in fact, the United States. And if you look at the definition that exists in the criminal code, It's pretty benign, or I mean, I shouldn't say benign because whatever a weapon of mass destruction is, (laughs) it's not benign. (laughs) Uh, It's actually relatively um, surprisingly just a bomb can be a weapon of mass destruction. As If you think about it, depending on the context, a bomb can kill anywhere between one and thousands of people depending on how it's manipulated. The oxygen destroyer was described by its original progenitor, Dr. Sakazawa, in the original Godzilla film as such a destructive device that if it were, in, if it were exploded above ground, it would destroy Tokyo. Again, that is mass destruction. <laughs> the, 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 he, he, as a result, commits suicide to ensure the rest of the world does not get out. Access to this device—that tells you how sincerely powerful it is intended to be by its progenitor. In the most recent movie, it creates a green mushroom cloud, usually a sign of a weapon of mass destruction. And—and <laughs> <laughs> and I will cede this to the next topic. In its, in the 1990s movie against Godzilla, destroyer. It creates an entirely new kaiju. If that isn't a weapon of mass destruction, nothing is. And, and with that, we go on to the next topic.
0: Okay. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> In the 1995 film Godzilla vs. Destroya, the Oxygen Destroyer creates Destroya. Honestly, what can't that thing do? It's 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 really a wonder. Bethany what is the toxic tort liability for the creation of Destroyer? Well, and why didn't they just name him Destroyer?
2: Oh, because you don't say Destroyer, you say Destroyer. Right? Like that, I believe that's the correct Japanese pronunciation. Yes. Um, anyway... So uh, this is a very interesting question. So normally you use toxic, toxic torts for things like asbestos or Agent Orange or something where you're kind of directly exposed to a chemical substance, whereas here you have the microoxygen that's gone into the soil and then has mutated these prehistoric crustaceans into this big giant kaiju named destroyer. <laughs> And now that kaiju is going around and killing everybody. And so the question is is the person who released this chemical responsible for all the havoc that destroy a, This is going to get old real fast, but um, caused. So there are typically four elements when you're talking about a toxic tort. Um, the first question is is the substance da- dangerous? The substance we're talking about being microoxygen. Now, I initially thought this was a slam dunk, but man in the red shirt, uh, is there a <laughs> counter-argument to... <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, everybody agrees uh, that <laughs> micro is dangerous, yes? Yeah? <laughs> awesome. All right. So, the the second question is, was the plaintiff, the person who's suing, exposed to the substance? Now, this is a little bit harder because Technically, the plaintiff has been exposed to something else that was exposed to the substance, right? So the plaintiff is not being exposed to microoxygen. They're being exposed to a giant kaiju monster. So I think most lawyers would try to argue that there is still this causal connection between micro oxygen and then the injury to the plaintiff, right? But for the release of microoxygen, this person would not have been injured. This kaiju wouldn't have been created. And so there is a direct causal link that they would try to establish. Um, And that's the same sort of thing with, did the substance cause harm to the plaintiff, right? You have the same type of arguments. No, the substance did not directly cause harm to the plaintiff. The big giant monster did. Um, But then, you know, you try to establish that causal link there um, in order to sue somebody, because, you know, that's what we do. Um, And the final question being... Did the person who is handling the micro oxygen use the appropriate standard of care in their handling of the micro oxygen, right? And this is an interesting question. I mean, as we mentioned before, we had a scientist who was so adamant that this weapon should never ever be used, even if giant kaiju were all over the world, that he actually committed suicide in order to prevent the release of this technology everywhere. So he clearly had very strong feelings on the matter. Oh. But, <laughs> but i will i will say generally in an emergency situation we have different views of what the standard of care should be right and so this was certainly an emergency situation you had a kaiju monster who was going around killing bunches of people and then you know somebody made the decision now normally there's lots of Like the appropriate stand of care care requires like a lot of testing of the substance, a lot of like careful thought and deliberation, maybe some warning signs, like you know, please be careful, you know, oxygen destroyer in use, that sort of thing. But there just wasn't time for that. And I think the ultimate question would be: knowing the risks of this thing, was killing Godzilla the appropriate? Was that the appropriate action there? And so I think this would be a very interesting case. So I would take it I would take uh, Godzilla's side, though, probably (laughs) You got it (laughs) (laughs) All right
0: No, No, you can applaud (laughs) 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 Absolutely (laughs) I don't know what he said, but God bless him All right Josh, for some reason, Godzilla tends to also bring out human monsters He does Yeah in uh, 1966, lawyers. E- e- <laughs> <laughs> Boom. In *Ebara: Horror of the Deep*, also known as *Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster*, a lot of trouble is caused by an evil organization known as Red Bamboo, which is also the name of Tahiti's most infamous driver's ed film. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs>
5: Yes, yes it is.
0: The question is, what international laws did Red Bamboo violate? So many. So Red Bamboo, uh, and, and this Godzilla
5: movie specifically, is the time that Godzilla decided to make a Bond movie. And because you look at the sets where their red bamboo is making nuclear weapons to sell to other countries it's like right out of a bond movie and which is why i asked mark uh, Tavares over there to <laughs> do this amazing artwork and go see his booth
0: mark Tavares. yes
5: so let's let's talk about international law and and like in king kong escapes we don't quite know their exact status. Are they terrorist groups? Like, is this just a bunch of, you know, fascists who have an air force? Or, or are they funded by a government? And that answer is never answered, or question's never answered, because we never find out. And I don't know if that was because the writers just didn't want to address, hey, let's make red China the bad guy. Like, they don't, they don't come out and say that, but we have red bamboo. We have a smashing eye patch with a design on it, and they control a sea monster, which whenever a boat goes by or ship or aircraft, this thing comes out of the water and smashes it. Well, that raises the issue of freedom of the seas. It's this right that all international, you know, all nations have to be able to go to sea. And if we have a monster that comes out of the water and, you know, violates the freedom of the seas. That's one thing that they have done that's very, very bad. And we'd probably go bomb them. But there's something else that they've done. They are horrible human beings. <laughs> okay? They're enslaving people from an infant island, you know, home of Mothra, who's taking a nap. And they torture the people that they enslave. Throw in proliferation of nuclear weapons, and like these people are on nobody's Christmas card list because they are all very bad. So again, Godzilla plays Bond and smashes the terrorists who are making nuclear weapons who have enslaved people, and Mothra comes along and <clears throat> flies everyone away to safety, because that's, that's how we roll in a Godzilla movie, which is a lot like uh, Never Say Never Again, you know, with, again, the good guys are flown away after the boat with the fin that looks like it's out of a Bond movie is sunk. So it's, it's very funky, but I love it. <laughs>
0: I think that would have been a better movie, by the way, with Godzilla. Oh, absolutely. Ever say never again? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Judge Stacy Beckerman. In the 2000 film Godzilla vs. Megaguirus, a black hole shooting weapon called the Dimension Tide uh, causes all kinds all. of problems. <laughs> oh, that? Not ominous at all. No, not at all, no. <laughs> There's nothing destroyer in there. Uh, <laughs> But it causes a lot of problems and it also creates uh, Megagoras. So Your Honor, did the black hole weapon violate Japan's constitution?
1: So the Dimension Tide actually was a satellite based weapon that was designed to shoot miniature black holes at people. (laughs) Genius, right? Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) My hat's off to whoever at uh, Toho came up with that idea. And can I bring it to Washington, D.C. next time I go? The, the goal of the weapon is to swallow up whoever's in the path and basically keep them prisoner forever. And so the goal was to shoot the black hole weapon at Godzilla and swallow him up and keep him as a prisoner. Um, the question for the day is, does that violate Japan's constitution? The current uh, Constitution of Japan was developed after World War II. It's referred to as the Peace Constitution, and it's known for Article 9, in which Japan renounced its right to wage war. Um, In light of that goal, the Constitution forbids Japan from maintaining any land, sea, or air forces, and it bans anything that has, quote, war potential. So by show of hands, who believes that a black hole weapon designed to trap an enemy for life violates the peace constitution? (laughs) All right, plot twist. Uh, The Supreme Court of Japan has ruled that um, the country may maintain weapons for defensive purposes, um, but it's not allowed to develop offensive weapons. And so the court hereby rules that the Dimension Tide does not violate Japan's constitution, although it's quite clearly designed as a weapon. um, It was designed as a defensive weapon. In the event that Godzilla comes back, it would protect the people of Japan by trapping Godzilla in the black hole forever. Clearly, self-defense for the country of Japan. Uh, So that is my ruling, so ordered. (laughs)
4: So can I, so be can I use that for the exclusives line? <laughs> <laughs> Kathy,
0: in the 1973 film Godzilla vs. Megalon, the underwater civilization of Seatopia is known for their humane dolphin shows and their gigantic beetle cyborg god known as Megalon. Fed up with all the surface world's nuclear testing, they send Megalon to destroy us. What could have been Ctopia's remedies short of going to war with the surface world?
4: So first I'm going to go with the non-legal uh, options, which I think uh, would be better suited for this. Uh, diplomacy. You know, diplomacy is always something that we should try first. It's what we teach our kids, right? Um, uh, perhaps, you know, it's it, the all I'm saying is give peace a chance. Um <laughs> Um, you know, a second option, protest, media exposure. That's really, really working these days. You know, um, get your voice out there and get it heard. Get, get a hashtag trending, right? Don't, no, you know, don't nuke Zootopia. Um, start a change.org petition. These are all things that they could be doing that are peaceful alternatives. Um, you know, the, the next option could, you know, if they're really, really concerned about this is go to court and seek a temporary restraining order or a preliminary injunction. Um, and to do that, um, what they would have to show is that a um, that they were likely to succeed on the merits. That means that they were, are likely to win the case, um, that they are likely to suffer irreparable harm in the absence of some sort of preliminary relief or early relief, um, which would be, I think, easily established in this case that they're already suffering harm because of all of this um, underwater or this testing Um, so and it's irreparable I'm sure (laughs) Um, then the uh, the next thing that they have to show and these the next two kind of go together that the balance of the equities tip in their favor and that an injunction is in the public interest I think they can clearly show that it would be better for them to have a preliminary injunction to stop this testing and that it would be in the public interest not to decimate an entire another uh, species country um whatever they um however whatever their jurisdiction is um so I think that um they would be likely to uh prevail and at least get a uh temporary restraining order or a preliminary injunction, but they really should try some peaceful alternatives to begin with not that court is not peaceful but yep. <laughs> it's, it's, you know it can it, be um they call it litigation for a reason it,
5: it would also be helpful to know
4: that they exist so
5: yes uh, <laughs> Because the United States and other countries doing the nuclear testing didn't know they existed, which makes our bad, you know, sorry, won't do that again. But I think that that's something very important to go like, hey, we predate you, look at our togas and dance party.
0: (laughs) Toga party always helps.
5: I I know. Again, Emperor Antonio, rock on, dude. Be proud (laughs) of that chest hair. But um, they need to know, we need to know they exist before... They just go to
0: war with us. They should also show off Megalon, like, we got Megalon, just to let you know. So let's talk. Give C's a chance. Okay. Monty, as the great grandnephew of the great Marion C. Cooper and a trailblazer in kaiju law, tackled this one. In 1962's King Kong vs. Godzilla. Uh, Mr. Taco, after Kong captured, has Kong captured as part of a marketing campaign for his pharmaceutical company, because nothing makes you want Oxycontin more than an angry giant gorilla. (laughs) (laughs) And now, let's remember, Mr. Taco was ordered by the Japanese Coast Guard not to bring Kong into Japan. What is Mr. Taco's legal liability? Man, I thought the oxygen
3: destroyer was a softball, but man, this one this one takes the cake.
0: Uh,
3: what isn't Mr. Talkathon's liability? Uh, let, let's start with the fact that you are ordered by your government not to bring in an exotic animal into your country, and you go ahead and do so, and you do so weaponizing it. Um, and also, uh, you are in, specifically instructed not to use... Uh, munitions and you go ahead and tell the two people that are going to capture Kong to go ahead and use weapons because, you know, the Japanese government doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> um, you, you're really looking at a lawyer's dream here before Kong gets to Tokyo. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, it, this is such an easy question that I am in a moment going to cede it to my panelists because I actually had to struggle to come up with reasons that Mr. Takasan was not liable. And I could, much like the Avengers movie, could come up with one. One in one million scenarios where he's not. But let me explain the many different ways that the law was violated, whether you look at it from a US or a Japanese standpoint. One of the oldest principles in law, going back to the Romans, we're going pre-medieval, is that importing an exotic animal is strict liability. Importing a 300-foot gorilla into a, into a, a, you know, a municipality is a really, really strict liability. Guess what? You know, we have lots of, Anybody here who has ever gone out of the country knows that you sign all sorts of customs duties. Japan has the same sort of restrictions. You do not get to bring in exotic biological agents, especially ones that can kill uh, and, and you are supposed to go through a whole series of inspections, which of course, in this case they put gods or they put King Kong to sleep and he wakes up right as he gets to the the uh, customs agents, and then on top of everything else, he aggravates an entirely different kaiju. Um, so, I, I, and on top of everything else, let's just go back to the real point. <laughs> the, you know this was supposed to be about a pharmaceutical marketing project bringing Kong in as something that's good for the country is really false advertising if it's not anything else so I am putting this out to my panel because I have one theory and I will come back to it but I can't even come up with ideas how he's not liable nope Uh, let's go with the judge let's go with the (laughs) judge
5: um
1: self defense <laughs>
2: it always comes back to self-defense Respondiat superior, maybe uh, <laughs>
0: Alright Stowaway Kong was a stowaway Oh, we have a,
3: we have a candidate Temporary insanity <laughs> He's doing it for money I mean <laughs> Alright it, it, It's not a bad my theory is, if any of you have seen the movie, Kong and, and uh, Godzilla do play a rudimentary game of baseball in which Kong shows that he's actually a very good switch hitter, and Kong... Or I mean, uh, Godzilla shows he's a very good switch hitter, and Kong shows he's a lousy pitcher. Um, so, I, my theory is the best defense is that Kong and Godzilla were both invited sports figures and, <laughs> and have immunity... <laughs> On top of that, I point out that in the most recent film, Godzilla wastes uh, Fenway Park showing that he is actually a candidate for the Yankees. Uh, (laughs) Oh,
0: yeah. (laughs) Oh, no, you didn't. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) All right. Uh,
3: Oh, oh, yeah. One last thing. I've been asked to point out because of my relationship that one thing that shows you that Godzilla also feels sorry for the Kong side of the family is that it, he wastes San Francisco, as you all know. He leaves four buildings intact. And it shows you how much respect he has for lawyers, because my law firm is one of those four buildings. That is in embarkadale. <laughs> You're
0: going to clean up. Oh. All right, man, that was a tour de force. <laughs> Bethany, in 1968's Kaiju-Palooza film Destroy All Monsters, the all-female alien race known as the Killax take control of the Earth's monsters as well as the mind of Dr. Kyoko Yamamabe. The good doctor goes on to make mischief but returns to normal after her boyfriend tears part of her ear off. Does... The insanity defense apply to Dr. Yamabe for being under KILAC or KILAC mind
2: control. All right. Well, uh, that was a pretty tough act to follow. I will say that pretty much every disaster movie ever where I live in D.C. is completely crushed. So, um, <laughs> uh, okay, so insanity defense. Um, There are a lot of different types of insanity defense that different states use. And uh, actually, does anybody live in Idaho, Kansas, Montana, or Utah? Any of those four states? All right, you guys do not get an insanity defense. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh. Never mind. Yeah. All right. (laughs)
3: <laughs> by observation that you live in those
5: states are insane. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> we're not
0: going there. That, Time's, wow. Time is that short. Let's would keep going. explain
2: why they don't permit the insanity defense.
0: <laughs> don't, don't turn into a mob.
2: <laughs> so, so by way of example, with the insanity defense, you generally have things that fall into two buckets. So you have one that's the irresistible impulse to test, which basically says that... Because of a mental disease or defect, I couldn't control myself. I felt this irresistible (coughs) impulse and I I just couldn't stop it. And that's my defense for doing this action, is that uh, I had an impulse I couldn't control. Now, the other main insanity defense is more like, I didn't understand the nature and wrongfulness of my actions. So I had control over my actions, but I didn't understand that they were wrong. Um, whereas the irresistible impulse, it doesn't matter if you understand what you're doing is wrong if you can't control yourself. So it's kind of two sides of the same coin here. Now, Dr. Yamabe here, we don't really know what's going on in her head when she's under the Kelox control. It doesn't seem like she understands that what she's doing is wrong because when she attacks people, when she's addressing her brother and all of that, she doesn't seem to have any sense of guilt or any sense of attachment to her brother, anything like that. Um, and you don't know if she has an impulse; she's trying to resist. You don't know if what she, if she thinks what she's doing is wrong. If she's trapped inside her brain somewhere and sees what she's doing but can't stop it, you really, based on the video evidence, you don't you don't know any of that. Um, as her lawyer, what I would do instead is I would argue a concept, a very seldom used defense called automatism, um, which is basically like you were unconscious you weren't there when this action happened and this really has only come up in the sleepwalking context where people are like i murdered that person while i was sleepwalking i was literally unconscious while this happened when i did this action um so you can see why it's very seldom used but i think in this case (laughs) in this case i think it would actually apply the ambient defense okay yes the ambient ambient defense defense. yeah (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right. <laughs> Stacy, in the 2002 film Godzilla Against Mechagodzilla, the Japan Self Defense Forces built a cyborg version of Godzilla using the original Godzilla skeleton, because that's how cyborgs are made, apparently. <laughs> Was it desecration of a corpse to build Mechagodzilla from the bones of Godzilla? No. Okay, moving on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Questions? No, 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 no. California law and most states um, have these corpse desecration statutes they only apply to humans so they only apply you can't mess with human remains you can't dig them up you can't make arts and crafts out of human bones Um, but they don't apply to Godzilla as much as we may love him and believe him to be human-like and he might be smarter than many humans we know The corpse desecration statutes do not apply, but let's dig a little bit deeper. Can you do whatever you want to with animal bones you find at the side of the road or at the bottom of an ocean, which is what happened in Godzilla? And there's a couple of laws that apply. One is, there's a bunch of laws that apply with what you can do with your pet animal corpses when they die, so if you have a pet dog or a pet Lizard, you can sometimes bury those in your backyard, you sometimes can't. There's laws about that. There's also the Endangered Species Act, which would prohibit the taking of any part of an endangered or threatened species, including its bones, if it's listed on uh, the Endangered Species Act list. Right now, Godzellosaurus is not listed, or for the true nerds in the room, uh, basal theropods are not listed on the list. <laughs> so um, Godzilla's bones are not protected under the Endangered Species Act. There's also laws about what you can do with roadkill that you find at the side of a road or at the bottom of an ocean. Know that under current California law, you cannot collect roadkill at the side of the road and take it home for dinner. But there is a a bill pending right now in the California legislature that would allow you to, uh, if you kill it, you may grill it. So keep keep an eye out for that. It's already legal in Oregon where I live, so. King Kong. Um, But, of course, we don't want to eat the meat off of Godzilla's bones. We want to take those bones and transplant them into a killer cyborg (laughs) bio-robot. <laughs> that triggers a whole another set of laws about xenotransplantation of taking a part of one species and putting it into another species such as a pig heart valve into a human. The FDA regulates that. Right now, it's allowed. But you have to be careful because in the movie, the Mechagodzilla who had the original Godzilla's bones actually remembered the humans killing the original Godzilla and then went on a rampage. So the bones always remember. <laughs> So in sum, there is really no law that restricts you from using Godzilla's bones, so have at it, and long live the king. <laughs>
0: yeah. Woo! All right. Okay. Kathy and Monty, one of my favorite films uh, that feature Godzilla, is Godzilla versus Hedera, or Godzilla <laughs> versus the Smog Monster. And as you all know, uh, Hedera is a creature that's a blend of uh, a alien meteorite-affected pollution and created this creature and if you watch this movie by the way and don't come away singing save the earth and something inside you has died but (laughs) are companies that cause pollution financially liable for hetero cleanup costs
3: oh my god if hetero appeared in southern california he'd be a lawyer's dream i'd be handing out my (laughs) my business card left and right you see that thing Kaiju lawyer, right here, I will sue it to death. Uh, <laughs> um, in the United States, there's a variety of environmental laws called, the, for instance, the Comprehensive Environmental Resource Liability Act, as that long name suggests, makes you liable for the cleanup cost, as you probably have heard in more vernacular terms, Superfund. Uh, no matter how small your c- contribution is, you are known as jointly and severably liable, meaning that you contributed 22 ounces of cesium to that Superfund site. Yes, you are liable for $1.2 billion. Yes, it's a great law. It's a, it, from a lawyer's standpoint, make more of them. Um, <laughs> there's also a variety of other environmental laws, for instance, called the Resource Conservation Liability Act and, and others, RICRA. Um, In the United States, there'd be no question. There'd be absolutely no question to be liable. In Japan, it becomes a little, little more vague, and I will conclude this very quickly, but to say that the Japanese law isn't as uh, uh, absolute in terms of strict liability as the United States. However, As any advanced uh, country with concerns about environmentalism, you might suspect they do have the same sort of liability um, requirements in place, and including some, for instance, for bad smells, which, you know, you take a look at the smog monster, that's pretty obvious. The same with Godzilla, actually. But, uh, (laughs) um, But the answer is an unequivocal yes.
0: All right.
4: Um, so, the other question in this is uh, what what about being um, compensated for your exposure to these uh, chemical um, uh, things um, <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually analogize to an uh, ongoing lawsuit that is occurring. Does anyone remember the uh, uh, earthquake that happened in Japan in 2011? And then what uh, the um, Fukushima reactor leaked. And uh, the U.S. had military ships that were in the area. They sent um, several ships, including the USS Reagan, which was based out of San Diego at the time, Uh, to provide aid. And um, uh, several months in continuing, a lot of those sailors actually have um, come down with a lot of radiation-related illnesses. Several of them have passed away. Uh, They sued the uh, Tokyo Electric Power Company, which was the company that owns that reactor in federal court in uh, in San Diego. Um, And they also sued General Electric. Um, The... uh, In March of this year, that case was actually dismissed because what is important is uh, where did the um, exposure, where did the accident occur? And this occurred in Japan. And so the court had to weigh whether or not um, California law should apply or Japanese law should apply. And the court in its decision in this past March said, well, both jurisdictions have a strong interest in their laws applying, but Japan had a stronger uh, interest because that's where the incident occurred. And so the plaintiffs should be suing in Japan and um, seek their remedies under Japanese law. That case actually has been appealed to the Ninth Circuit. It's ongoing. So we will see what happens there. But really what's important is, is where did this happen? And those laws should apply.
0: All right. So now it's time for the lightning round. Uh, Judge Beckerman, is Dr. Emma Russell guilty of child
1: endangerment? If you've seen the movie, I know what you're thinking. Of course, Emma Russell is guilty of child endangerment. She allowed eco-terrorists to kidnap her and her 12-year-old daughter, Madison. She intentionally (laughs) awakened King... Uh, Ghidorah, who goes on a killing spree, et cetera, et cetera. The list is up there. I'm a former federal prosecutor. I would take that case. It seems like an easy win. But give me 30 seconds to try to convince you otherwise. I'm going to do my quick 30-second impression of a criminal defense lawyer. So do a doo Ladies and gentlemen of the jury. The San Francisco District Attorney has filed 65 charges of child endangerment (laughs) against my client, Dr. Emma Russell. But my client is not some three-headed monster. And I would like you to return a verdict of not guilty for at least three reasons. First... The alleged crimes occurred in Monarch outposts in China, Antarctica, a Mexican volcano, and Fenway's Green Monster. This court does not have jurisdiction. The crimes did not occur in California, and the case must be dismissed immediately. Second, I think we all agree that the children are our future. And as parents, nice. we are stewards of the earth so that we may save it from sure climactic change for our children for the children when Alan Jonah was looking for people to help him save the earth guess who stepped up dr. Emma Russell <laughs> not because she's a bad person on a delusional killing frenzy but because she loves her daughter it's for the children say it with me everybody for the children <laughs> Dr. Emma Russell's acts were justified because the planet surely faced certain extinction. So she is an eco-shiro, and you should come back with a not guilty verdict. Finally, one more reason. At the end of the day and at the end of the movie, Dr. Emma Russell sacrificed herself to save her daughter and to save all of us from King uh, Ghidorah's three creepy heads. (laughs) So you can't prosecute her, Mr. District Attorney, because she's dead (laughs) There are monsters among us, ladies and gentlemen Dr. Emma Russell is not one of them You must return a verdict of not guilty The defense rests
0: Nice (laughs) All right
1: Motion
3: denied, go to jail, go straight to jail
0: (laughs) 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 All right, Kathy Would San Francisco have been condemned after the events that happened in Godzilla 2014? Uh, duh. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't have cancer, right? I mean, like... (laughs)
4: Um, Yes, it probably would be, and um, there are a couple of laws that would allow them to do that, and um, under the federal law, it would be the 5th and the 14th Amendment. We call it the Takings Clause. All of those who are the lawyers in the room, you remember that from property. Um, Under California law, it's Article 1, Section 19 of the California Constitution, which says private property may be taken or damaged for a public use, and only when just compensation um, determined by a jury has first been paid to um, the owner. And so basically you can take property, but you have to pay the owner the value of what it's worth. However, there is an exception for um, the exercise of police power. You can, uh, you don't have to pay compensation uh, if it's essential to safeguard public health, safety, or morals. And so I think there's a good argument to say that Given the extent of the destruction in the Bay Area, that uh, it is necessary for public safety to take the property without compensation so that they can clean it up and then rebuild
0: and probably sell it to a bunch of (laughs) dot-comers. All right. right. Bethany, can Dr. Ishiro Sarazawa be arrested for contempt of Congress after walking out of a Senate hearing? (laughs)
2: Well, this is a very interesting question, and kind of topical, given uh, recent news events. But uh, in the movie, uh, Dr. Sarazawa is in a Senate hearing. The Senate hearing is about whether the U.S. military should take control of Monarch. And uh, an emergency happens, and he kind of stands up and walks out, and all the senators are like, wait, you can't do that. Um, So the question is, can he? Um, Well, the first thing is, it's not entirely clear what kind of structure Monarch actually is, whether it's a paramilitary organization, whether it's kind of an international NGO, they've got a lot of outposts in foreign countries, whether it's some sort of alliance, like NATO, um, and this would matter, of course. Now, given that the U.S. military is holding a hearing on whether or not they should take it under control, I think it's safe to assume that it's related to the U.S. somehow, right? Um, And so... You know, maybe let's say that it's a, a... You know, a department of the executive branch like NASA or anything, and they just want to put the military in control of it. So then, um, you really just... You can't... So uh, this, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in 1917 that Congress does, in fact, have the power to issue subpoenas to people. Uh, normally, people were used to subpoenas coming from the ju- judicial branch, so courts and everything like that. But they said that is. uh In virtue of the grant of legislative authority, there is a power implied to deal with contempt. And ever since then, Congress has had the power to issue these subpoenas. Now, the question becomes, what happens when somebody violates a subpoena, or refuses to answer, or refuses to show up? So, you know, legal experts have kind of outlined three things that Congress can do in this situation. The first thing is that Congress can go to the Department of Justice and say, hey, this person's violating the subpoena. The Department of Justice can thereafter issue a fine of up to $1,000 and then detain them for up to a year. So if you go through uh, the DOJ and the executive branch, that's one way to do it. Uh, The second way to do it is to go to a court and say, hey this person is violating a subpoena, and then the court will rule on whether or not the person has to um, follow the subpoena, and then there can be penalties if they don't after a court order. Now, the third way, and the kind of weirdest way, is that, you know, obviously there could be political reasons why you wouldn't want to go to another branch, either the executive or judicial, to, to enforce a subpoena. Congress actually... Potentially has the power to just do it themselves, to call the sergeant at arms and say, hey, we're arresting you for contempt of Congress. Now, there's a bunch of issues with doing it this way. Um, the first issue is being, I'm not sure Congress has a place to put people that they're detaining. Um, I don't know if they can like, just shove them in a janitor's closet. I feel like that would be like... You know, some sort of violation. Um, no but also that it hasn't been constitutionally tested, what the due process requirements would be for that kind of thing. And so I think that would very much be a last resort. Um, the other thing about it be, potentially being uh, an executive agency is that they could then um, declare that they have executive privilege as the reason for not following the subpoenas. The, the subpoena. So essentially what executive privilege says is that you know, there is a compelling reason why answering these questions would interfere with my duties as an executive. Um, so they could say, you know, this is, these are very strong national security concerns, which, by the way, are the only reasons, it, like, invoking executive privilege ever works is if you, like, claim national security.
5: Um, and that's our time. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. <laughs> Thank you very
0: much, everybody. We'll see you next time.